Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Movies for Life. I am one of your co-hosts, Michelle Egan. And I'm Brian Kuyper. And today we have a super awesome bonus episode, kind of, that we're really excited about because we just wanted an opportunity to talk about one of our favorite movies of all time. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it a lot in a previous episode, sort of yeah. unintentionally, <laughs> or I you did. talked about it a lot in a previous episode, sort of unintentionally. But it is, frankly, not that hard to draw a few comparisons uh, between sure. compare and contrast, I should say, between Casino, one of uh, Michelle's forever favorites, and our choice today, yes. which is going to be something we do from time to time where we just pick one movie, and we did it before with Ghostbusters. And we just kind of talk. Gush. Gush. <laughs> gush, maybe. It just... Yeah, it's a big movie that could probably fit in a bunch of different categories that we pick for the show. But I mean, it's really mm-hmm. just one where it deserves its own episode because we could go on and on and on. Yeah. So, of course, we're talking about Martin Scorsese's gangster masterpiece, Goodfellas. From 1990. Yes. Okay, what's your background with this movie? How have you approached this before? When did you see it first? Do you remember any of that? No, I don't. I don't really know what my background is with this movie, actually. There are some movies that have just kind of felt like they were always there, you know? Mm-hmm. And this is this is one of those, where I saw it when I was pretty young. It came out, you know, I was five when it came out. Mm-hmm. But I probably saw it when I was in middle school or so. Like, I was pretty young. When I was getting into that stuff, it feels like it's always been there. It feels like I've always known like every frame of this movie. And it's what helped me know who Scorsese was Mm -hmm. and get into a lot more of his movies too. So it holds a very, very special place in my heart. For me, I'm pretty sure this was my first Scorsese film. I think it was for me too. Yeah. Because I remember distinctly when I first really started hearing about it was during the Oscar season in 1991 when this was nominated for Best Picture along with Godfather Part 3. <laughs> Interestingly enough, Dances with Wolves, which one? Boo. I know. God. I know. I know. I, I tend to agree. Um, Ghost. Ghost. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I can't remember what the fifth nominee was off the top of my head. It's interesting because I remember thinking, oh, Dances with Wolves was sort of the heavy favorite at the time. But the critics were all saying, you know, Goodfellas is a masterpiece. It's the best movie of the year. It is clearly the best movie of the year. I remember Siskel and Ebert at the time, they had this If We Pick the Winners thing that they did. I think The Crying Game might have actually been nominated that year, now that I think of it. That was the big controversial thing that year. Um, I have no idea. But I don't remember (laughs) it all, to be honest. So I should have looked that up before I started going on this little rant, but I didn't. So uh, (laughs) those of you who are currently yelling at your podcast feed at me, I apologize. But sure, that's exactly. I'm sure that's exactly what they're doing. But What I found to be interesting, because I had not seen this in the theater. I had seen uh, Dances with Wolves. I had seen Ghost, of course. I was 12 during this time, and Goodfellas was not one my parents were going to take me to. However, after it came out on video, we did rent it, and we watched it all together. And I think it was a little over my head at the time. There were things that I remembered about it. I remembered the opening sequence, clearly. Because it's Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, there's a guy in the trunk, and they're stabbing him, and they're shooting him, and holy jit. (laughs) I don't know if that's the word that came to mind when I was 13, but maybe. And I remembered a couple other sequences from that much later. One of them that is very strange. 
when I really got into gangster movies after seeing The Godfather in high school, this is one I revisited pretty soon after that, and just like, whoa, this movie is incredible. Absolutely yeah. just kills. And it's amazing, and it's modern, and even though it takes place in the 50s through the early 80s, it's felt very present and the energy of the camera and all these things, and, and it just became instantly a favorite during that time. I was still convinced that The Godfather was a better movie. Now I'm not so sure. Not <laughs> I mean, so to be sure, honest, right? I, I, I love The Godfather. I am not disparaging The Godfather in any sense at all. I love The Godfather. It's an amazing movie. It's a masterpiece. But I actually think I like Goodfellas more as a gangster film particularly as a gangster film. It feels more in the trenches. It feels more yeah. real. Whereas The Godfather is very, it's, it's a melodrama. It's an opera, which is, a, and it's an amazing one at that. But uh, this is very much like these are real guys dealing with real gnarly shit. Yep. So This is right underneath The Godfather as the best gangster movie of all time on AFI's list or whatever but I don't know I would definitely put this in number one for those same reasons that you described like The Godfather feels like a totally different world a different era which it kind of is it's a little bit it takes place earlier obviously yeah this feels more like this is what it was really like for Mm -hmm. most of the guys and this is what we're most familiar with I think when we think of gangsters now we don't think of like Italy and the old country you know we think about New York in this time period I think and it really captures what that was like the Godfather is a bit of like the kings yeah they're like the major guys he's the Godfather he's like the head of everything this is like the guys in the trenches this is the soldiers yeah Um, so the way this is all put together the influence that Goodfellas has, I mean, even on Scorsese's own work, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. is pretty clear because um, I feel like Casino is kind of takes the vibe of this movie in a lot of ways and, and just mm-hmm. amps it all up to 11. It's faster cut. It's it got more, even more music and going from one little bit to the next and the, it's brighter and it's almost an assault on the senses because it just happens so <laughs> quickly. I loved Casino, by the way, you know, uh, of that's course. Why I love we, we've talked about that already. See our previous Scorsese episode. Yeah, we talked r- about Taxi Driver and Casino. That's right. Um, but for me, something about Goodfellas is just right for me. It hits the sweet spot. I think that's why I personally mm-hmm. prefer this one. It's not sort of detached and distant like some movies can be. But it's also not so just quick and, and for lack of a better term, the, I guess, assault on the senses that Casino is. And that's not to disparage Casino. I would say this one kind of is, too. Like, all the different techniques that he's using. It's very, like, frenetic for a lot of the movie. And he's using, like, the long shots and Mm -hmm. freeze frames and quick cutting for certain things, especially on uh, his last day. Mm Mm-hmm. So it is kind of an assault on the senses, but it's in a good way. Like oh uh, yeah, that, like and I mean I mean like that we've been talking yeah. I mean in a good way in both movies, to be honest. Right. You know, I mean it's not because they're fun to watch. It's cause it's for not the like the longest a, time. This has always been like a fun to watch movie. And yeah. As we've been talking about off mic, we both had a really different experience with it this time around yes. when we were 
know, prepping for this, which I, I think is a good way to talk about this without saying the same things that have been said about Goodfellas over and over and over again throughout the years, mm-hmm. you know, because like, what are we going to say that no one hasn't said before? Probably not much. Yeah, probably but. not much. But I think, you know, when we see it, it's interesting that we both watched it with this lens without talking about it ahead of time either. Yeah. Because <laughs> you watched it the day before me and I texted you in the morning and said, hey, I'm seeing it this way. And you're kind of like, yeah, I kind of did too. Yeah. That was an interesting thing because we saw much more the dark undertones of the film this time than we had in the past. Because there's so much of this movie that is the surface is so much fun. That's mm-hmm. the lifestyle. And, you know, Scorsese even said, we don't need big stars in this movie because the star of this movie is the lifestyle. Yeah. And it's so true. Then you realize that so much of what that lifestyle entails is murder and yeah. fear and the sense that you could be killed at any moment. There are a few lines in this that I wrote down. that was like, Henry is scared during so much of this movie. Yeah, which I'd always seen that stuff before. Like, I always saw the dark undertone, but maybe it's just more not really wanting to focus on that mm-hmm. and just have fun with it because he does do such an awesome job of portraying the lifestyle and portraying it in the way that he always does in his movies, which people give him stuff stupid shit for that's absolutely not true it's not glorifying any of this no as much as it might look it on the screen like if you really look at what he's doing no it's absolutely he's never glorifying these guys at all he's showing you pretty much how horrible these guys are and that's kind of a surprising thing from this last rewatch too is i really hated these guys and saw them for like the terrible amoral people that they are which i always knew that Mm mm-hmm But if you look at it from a different perspective or even as if you were a different character in the movie, as if you were somebody in the background that just has to be around these guys and kind of watch everything you say and everything you do because you have no idea how they're going to react to you if you're not one of them. Yeah. It's a terrifying thing. They talk about respect all the time. It's not respect. It's fear. Fear. Respect from fear is not anything really to be admired. Right. And viewing it darker than I have before didn't make me like the movie less. In in fact, I think it might have been even the opposite, that I even appreciated it more than I already had, which is immense. I mean, for me, this is a five-star masterpiece of a movie. We've talked about that maybe there's not such thing as a perfect movie, but damn, this movie comes close. (laughs) (laughs) And if it's not perfect, I, I'm not sure what could make it more. Well, <laughs> what I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we talked about, you know, like, oh, it says he's 21 and he's, well, obviously not 21. But I mean, 21. you can't you can't magically de-age an actor in 1990 like you can in 2019 when they did. <laughs> when they did sure. uh, but even, even in The Irishman, you couldn't really magically de-age these actors. They move differently as men in their 70s, you know, than they sure. did as the 20-year-olds they're supposed to be portraying in a different scene, you know? I'll say this too, because this is something I have to say in every episode. God, Ray Li- both Ray Liotta and Robert De Niro in this time at this age, yeah, so, so hot. <laughs> Ray Liotta is such a beautiful man. His mm-hmm. eyes and his face... I was always a little attracted to Robert De Niro, but there's like one scene in particular where I was like really into it when he's uh, first trying to get the money out of Maury. And I don't know, he's just wearing that yeah. like white t-shirt and his hair is perfect. And oh, he's a good looking dude. Sorry, I have to say that. <laughs> no, you can admit. It's all good. 
there's some details I noticed as well that are not ever focused on. You know, like in, and I'm probably going to mention Casino a lot Sweet. in this episode. I'm all for uh, that. <laughs> in Casino, there's sort of this microscopic focus on details. You see exactly how people stack chips. You see how many blueberries. <laughs> lots of close up of hands and different things. There's not so much sure. of that here. You see the things. You see the details. There's It's filled with details, but the camera doesn't linger on them like in Casino. You kind of need to just take it all in. And there are a lot of those things that I hadn't really thought about before that came into play while I was watching at this time that sort of feed into that idea of the undercurrent, mm-hmm. the darker undercurrent of the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's interesting about this, I don't feel a second of this movie. No. It flies by it's two hours and, what, 35, 40 minutes long. Yeah. Never for a moment do I feel that. I can watch this so easily. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Never feel a second of it. Yeah. Like you were saying, too, about um, just kind of focusing on things I hadn't before. I really liked the way he tells the story is so interesting, too. Like, he has so many different techniques that he uses. And I really like those random little inserts of different scenes for, like, just a few seconds when uh, he has Janice set up at her apartment and he's like, I had to go, she was screwing up at work, so I had to go talk to her boss. And yeah. then there's like that quick little thing of them yelling at Roughing her up boss. her boss, and, yeah. Yeah. He just has such a flair for telling the story mm-hmm. in a way that even though like one scene might not be connected to the one before it, like it just, it still flows and that helps with the, the storytelling and the time and then just everything it works from one scene to the next somehow, even if they're not connected. I actually noticed more through line this time than I ever have before. Yes. You know, it's sort of like, for example, okay, there's the famous scene of Tommy, or do you think I'm funny? And he mm-hmm. smashes a bottle on the guy's head, right? The next scene is with Sonny, who's had the bottle smashed over his head. He's wearing the bandage. He's talking about Tommy's, and he asks Polly to take over his restaurant. And then you go into the whole montage about the restaurant... It's like, you know, what happens, everything's profit. Eventually the thing, you know, you bust the joint out, you burn it down. And the next thing they show is Tommy and Henry sitting in the car while the building is burning outside that they just boy- mm-hmm. busted out. And they're talking about their dates. You know, you, you got to go on this double date with me because this girl won't go out with me unless she has a date for her friend. Well, that friend turns out to be Karen. And, you know, I mean, so I <laughs> actually... just goes right into the yeah. him and Karen meeting, yeah. So it's, it links these things. I just saw much more of that through line than I ever had before. Yeah, it, it was it felt less episodic than it ever had before. Somehow, yeah, I noticed something like that too. Like in that scene I was just talking about where you first meet Maury, because like scenes have two different purposes sometimes in this movie, which is really interesting. Like the when we first meet Maury, it starts out with a commercial, mm-hmm. and De Niro or Jimmy Conway is watching it, and you can see the look on his face. He's mad at this guy. He hates this guy, which obviously comes up later Throughout on in the movie, the thing, and he's yeah. yeah it introduces that whole thing, but it also serves as, you know, that's where Henry gets the phone call from Karen. Yeah, he's really good at doing that stuff, like linking things together and telling multiple stories at the same time in a really seamless way. I agree. He's so good. We love Scorsese. I love you, Dad. <laughs> this is, for me, also, it's sort of Hollywood convention that voiceover is bad. I mean, no. that's the current trend is for a screenwriter. If you can't do your movie without voiceover, you're not a good screenwriter. Fuck that. Because seriously, (laughs) this for me is the best, as great as it is in Casino, and it really is great in Casino. This is the best use of voiceover in any movie ever. Definitely. Better than Amadeus even, uh, which is up there. 
Definitely better than Forrest Gump. It's brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. And that is why there was sort of this glut of voiceover that came after this, because it's done so damn good in this movie. It is perfect. I love the part at the end, you know, where he takes over the voiceover and says it to camera. It's just like the greatest, because you almost expect him to do that at other points in the movie. And then he finally does. To break the wall. At the very end, he breaks the fourth wall that one time. And again, another rule that you never break, right, is breaking the fourth Mm -hmm. wall. And here it is done to such perfection. How does it work? It's because Scorsese at this point is an absolute master. I have seen most of Scorsese's narrative features, and I at least like all of them. But the ones that are masterworks, they stand at a level that is incomparable. and almost incomprehensible that they can be that good (laughs) you know (laughs) it's really remarkable i think part of the voiceover being effective too is just the way ray Liotta delivers it yeah in a lot of parts there's one part early on that i noticed when he's still a teenager you notice like a little thing in his voice when he's like you know one time one time you know some kids from the neighborhood carried my mother's groceries all the way home and like just that little intonation he's really focused on this it's out of respect i don't know he just delivers it so good People looked at me differently, and they knew I was with somebody. I didn't have to wait in line at the bakery on Sunday mornings anymore for fresh bread. The owner knew who I was with, and he'd come from around the counter. No matter how many people were waiting, I was taken care of first. Our neighbors didn't park in our driveway anymore, even though we didn't have a car. At 13, I was making more money than most of the grown-ups in the neighborhood. I mean, I had more money than I could spend. I had it all. One day, one day some of the kids from the neighborhood carried my mother's groceries all the way home. You know why? It was out of respect. Or like on the on his last day uh, when he's talking about the, all the food and everything. Okay, you know when the main feeling that I get from Goodfellas when I watch it now? What's that? I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, the the get, food scenes. I get such cravings for all that food. The food scenes in this movie. I mean, that uh. close up of cutting the garlic with the razor blade and cooking the steaks in the pans and the stirring the oh, sauce at the end and all that there, stuff. This one shot, I was like, "Who wants to go to Uncle Polly's?" And she's carrying this big plate of meatballs, and I'm like, "Oh yeah. my god, those look so good!" They go over to Tommy's mother's house at like friggin' midnight, and they're having like a whole meal. And she and makes this big meal like, for him. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm always craving. It's like, okay, I need some lasagna, I need some bread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's a big key element of this movie. It's really interesting. It's the richness of the lifestyle, of mm-hmm. the Italian heritage of the, the lifestyle that yeah. it really adds to it. Like yeah. food is a big part of Italian life. That's how it's a socialization amongst them, I, I think, right? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, bonding happens over meals so often. and That's what I mean, yeah. There's really something about that. I, one of these days, I'd really love to cover the movie Babette's Feast because that's a movie all about bonding and sort of warming to people over food. 
And yeah. I think that's something that is so prevalent in this. It's prevalent in, to some extent in The Godfather as well. Coppola is really funny because he says he tries to put a recipe in every movie that he makes because <laughs> right. even if the movie's bad, at least some people will have a good recipe from it that they can eat yeah. together and bond over. Just make sure you don't put too many onions in the <laughs> Just sauce. Just don't put too many onions in the sauce. That's right. Um, <laughs> That's another part where the, the voiceover is funny because he says mm-hmm. in the voiceover, like, I always thought to put too much onions in. The next line from Polly is, don't, don't put, put too, too many onions, onions in the, in the sauce, sauce, Vinny. <laughs> All right. So we've talked about sort of the exuberance of it, the joy of the lifestyle. Do you want to go into the conversation now, sort of focusing on some of the darker elements? Because one of the big criticisms of this movie is it glorifies the lifestyle and it glorifies thugs and it glorifies violence. That's something that Scorsese has dealt with his whole career. Uh, Taxi Mm -hmm. driver. You still see it on Twitter all the time. Yeah. Because he does largely make movies that are male-centric, which, you know, as as a male director of a certain generation, I think that probably makes sense. I mean, Kurosawa did the same thing. I mean, a lot of, and we talked about Lumet doing that too, focusing on men going through certain times of life in a lot of cases and what they deal with. But this movie is interesting because I love that the narration shifts, that you get Karen in there quite a bit. And speaking of Mm -hmm. the narration, if I'm recalling correctly, and it's been a while since I've watched the special feature, Scorsese at first said that Leota just couldn't do the voiceover. It just wasn't working at all. And he finally just sat down in front of him and he said, okay, tell me the story. Just tell me the story. And Mm -hmm. that's when it started to work because it is a storytelling kind of thing. Yes. Capturing the voice of Henry Hill, literally. Mm -hmm. Because they pull it in, if you read Wise Guy, uh, it's almost like reading the voiceover of this movie. That's how I remember it. It's been a very, very long time since I've read that book. But yeah, that's kind of how I remember it. And I really like that element. And so much of this movie's voiceover and so much of the dialogue in the film is almost like playing off of the voiceover. The voiceover, yeah. So getting that stuff to sync up just perfectly, the timing and everything is remarkable. But honestly, right from the beginning this time, I was like, oh my gosh, this cold open is shot like a horror movie. You've got yeah. the dark when they hear the banging in the trunk. It's like, what is that? It has that sort of Italian horror movie thing going on because they open the trunk and the lights are on them and it's all red and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And there's a body in the trunk and it's still moving and they stab it with a knife and then De Niro pulls out the gun and shoots him. What a way to start the movie. As far back as I could remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. That line coming after what you've just seen seen is kind of terrifying. It is. It's kind of the point of the movie, I think, too, Uh because it's showing, I don't know how to say it, like it's showing how horrible it is and showing the appeal of the lifestyle at the same time. And you said something about Karen Mm -hmm. before I watched this again, about how she was probably the most important character in the movie, almost. Mm -hmm. Anyway, because when you're watching the movie, you you feel her arc and that's kind of how you're watching the movie and how you're watching this lifestyle because she is at first really attracted to it. She's like, oh, this is amazing. Look at all this stuff he can do. He can get us into the Copa Mm -hmm. and get us a front row and Bobby Vinton's going to send us champagne. And and then as the movie goes on, she's slowly realizing like what she's in. Yeah. 
And then and it's negatively affecting her, everything around her is affecting the way that she is as a person yeah. because she's completely different at the end of the movie than she, when we first meet her. She fights against it for a while, but then by the time yeah. Henry comes out of jail, she's just waiting by the car for him. And uh-huh. it's like, I am in it. She's so unsure at first at the yeah. hostess party. She's mm-hmm. completely like, I don't want to live like this. And she says it in the very next scene. She's like, I don't know if I could live like that. I don't know if I could do this. I know. and But she does. By the end, she's completely in it. She's an accomplice, yeah. Yeah, she's totally an accomplice. And I was really focusing kind of on her this time. It's it's kind of sad to watch that character do that because when we first meet her, she's fucking awesome. She oh, I is, love that sequence. I love her. That part where Henry kind of gets smitten by her, frankly. Uh-huh. When she right. comes out, how dare you stand me up? And she's doing it in front of all these wise guys and not giving a shit what anyone's thinking of her. She's awesome. Like, her first line in the voiceover is, I couldn't stand him. And at the dinner, she's really showing him how annoyed she is. Can you stop doing that? That's really annoying. She's so not into this guy, but she stands up for herself and she's She's got a big mouth, but in a good way that she's not going to let a guy do that to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just love that scene. But they both get smitten with each other. I like that moment when she's yelling, but then she also starts like smiling at him. Yeah. I like that moment. It's really good. And she's like, it's going to cost you, Hill. <laughs> yeah. So she's like, I'm going to show you what kind of girl I am that you can't do this shit to me. But also you're like, you're kind of cute and I like you. Right. <laughs> I'll give you another chance. Well, and it's interesting because, okay, there are a couple of things that I noticed here It's so much about attraction of him. Mm -hmm. She's like, I didn't think it was strange, you know, this young kid with such connection. And she's willingly blinding herself to it at this point. And then the part where she gets assaulted by the neighbor and Mm -hmm. she goes to Henry and he pistol whips him. God, that's such an intense. It's so so intense. intense. And the thing is, it's just shown in one shot. There's no Mm close-ups. There's no cutting at all. It just hits him and hits him and hits him. You know, you you touch her again, you're dead. That sound, that sound of metal on bone is just so crazy. And then... And then one of my favorite lines. The guys are in the back just watching it, like not knowing what to do, freaking out. Uh, then one of my favorite lines in the movie is, you know, there are a lot of women, like my best friends, that would have gotten out of there the minute their boyfriend gave them a gun to hide. But I got to mm-hmm. admit the truth. It turned me on. Yeah. Oh. Okay. And then, <laughs> and then there's later where she said, this is after she confronts him about sneaking around on her with Janice and gone. She's, you know, done the whole thing where she buzzes the the uh, intercom and says, I want you to let you know that you have a whore living in your, you know, in your apartment and all this stuff. Janice Rossi. And all this. She's just intense. And then Henry wakes up with a gun to his face. Yeah. And when he turns on her in that scene, I got to face this out on the street. I got to do it when I come home, too. And she just yells, I'm sorry. Yeah. And the voiceover takes over. says, how could I hurt him? I couldn't even bring myself to leave him. The yeah. truth is, I was still very attracted, attracted to, him. to him. Yeah. And I thought that is the weirdest says. line. Not I love him. Not he's the father of my children. Not even he provides security. Any of that. It's I'm still attracted to him. And I thought it is interesting. It, I, that was just one of the weirdest lines to me. And it's not a movie line. 
That's a mm-hmm. real line. That's not something you could make up, I don't think, to me. It, it comes across as this is just the way Karen interacted with him. It was, he's sexy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> But do you also think maybe that means she's attracted to what he's introduced her to? Yeah. The life and the money and mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it means. Oh, too. yeah, definitely. They're so intense. Like I said, I hate. I kind of hate watching what she becomes later on. She's always yelling in front of her kids. God. Yeah. Well, she turns There's into that... everything she hates from the hostess party. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Everything that she's like, I'm, I'm not going to become that. No, and she absolutely does. Like, there's that one shot. She throws his keys out the window, <laughs> and she's yelling at him, like, get out of here, I hate you. Like, it's the shot holds on their daughter in the hallway, watching yeah. him walk away and listening to them yelling. And that's just another part of showing, like, the real darkness behind all of this in the movie. There's jealousy and yeah. fear. Even earlier than that, there's this part where Henry hasn't been home. And she's with her <laughs> at her mother's house and he comes home and, and the mother just says, a married That's man kind of doesn't do moment. this, you know, and, and, and everything Karen's thinking, but Karen won't say it. Mom, don't do that. Because yeah. he just leaves and he starts laughing. And then you hear Tommy in the car. How dare you do this, uh, Henry? Come on. <laughs> All these things. She's and, trying and not to become like that uh, wife. Like, oh, he's just out with his friends. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. She resists that so much. But yeah, she ultimately becomes it. And the early scene where she's bringing like the, the salami and all this stuff in the big coat to him while he's in mm-hmm. prison. Here, you want this? Here's your stuff. Smuggling all this stuff in for you. And then. Let her do it. Let, let her, her do, do it. it. <laughs> all of that is her just, I don't know. It, it's almost like she's just resisting herself. She's resisting all this and she's hating it. Then, But seriously, when she picks him up from prison, when he's mm-hmm. walking out and he just walks out casually and there she is just leaning against the car, looking gorgeous and all these things oh, like. Yes. I'm ready for you. I'm ready for you to be home. That could also be because she's been away from the life for a while because he's been in there for four years and she's been cut off. Yeah, she's been cut off from everybody. Like yeah. I said, she, she never sees anybody anymore. Nobody is helping her out. She's got to like actually live like a regular person yeah. now. So she's had some distance from that yeah. and she's happy to see him again because she loves him or she's just attracted to him yeah. and he just immediately has to bring her back into life. She totally could have turned around after that. It's funny because, you know, as soon as they get home, it's like, yeah, we're going to get out of this place and uh, we got to get a new house and i got mm-hmm. some money for us it'll be enough hey who wants to go to uncle polly's and they're like immediately back in immediately yeah, exactly. so i thought i was out they pull me, me back in, in. <laughs> speaking of the godfather three uh, karen is so fascinating by the end she is she's snorting as much coke as he is and um mm-hmm. she's selling guns with him i always thought it was weirdly attractive when she puts the gun in her panties during the raid. <laughs> I was just thinking of that scene. <laughs> is, that, is that weird? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. It's interesting, as soon as the lifestyle was over, though, you know, she left him. As soon as they were in yeah. protection, she left him. Because I think the attraction was probably, it's like, eh, I'm, I'm kind of over it. Or because he just put her through so much. Well, well there's no <laughs> doubt about that. Of course <laughs> he did. But, I mean, he had put her through so much before that, and she stuck with him. But maybe her attraction was just as much to the life as it was to him. You know, he represented that. And the big scene for her that I noticed this time around is always kind of got to me in a way, but I really saw it more for what I think it is is after Henry's been arrested and she goes to 
And it's like the downward spiral of them. Mm-hmm. She goes to see Jimmy and he does that thing where he's like, oh, you got some, you know, Dior dresses. Mm-hmm. You want to take some, which is a very like odd thing. Like it's she's still in it. She's still in the lifestyle because yeah. that's still something that they would do. You're in like the worst situation of your life. Why are you thinking about dresses right now? To me, this is the scariest scene in the movie. It is. I, I was always kind of confused by it. I was because like, I was always thinking like, would something have actually happened to her? Because when she stops and looks, it's just a bunch of guys... Stacking just like move, move, stuff. moving stuff around, so mm-hmm. it doesn't look like she was any real danger. But you're not sure because Jimmy Jimmy's is acting off very strange. Ca- yeah, he's very cautious of the two of them at that time. So I don't know what would have happened because at this point she still believes in the family mm-hmm. of the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Because in the scene before that is Henry's like, okay, if we stay here, we're going to die. We got to get out of this. He's like trying to talk her into it, like come with him and get away from these guys because they're probably going to kill him. And yeah. she's like, no, you're totally paranoid. That's not what's going to happen at all. But when she goes to see Jimmy, she's not sure. She's lost that trust. She finally has the, the fear that he has. Yeah. Oddly, this is one of the scenes that I remembered from that first watch at 13. I don't know why that scene, but it really is now, since I've watched it since then, it really is a frightening sequence. Just the way it's shot and cut Mm -hmm. together and the way Jimmy's acting. You don't know what's a thing. Just just over there. Just over there. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Go on. I really do think he he is going to have her killed. Really? I really I know. I really do. Well, just because. Or he would have at least had her like talk to, like see what they're going to do. For me with Jimmy, this viewing, I found Jimmy scarier than Tommy because Jimmy, you never quite know what he's thinking. You never know when he's going to turn on someone because he's been spending all the movie playing cards with people like Carbone. And these other people mm-hmm. that end up in garbage trucks and in meat trucks and dead just... after Lufthansa because he doesn't want to share yeah, the money from that. Because for years I always thought he's having all of these people are being killed because they're spending too much money. They're going to tip off the cops to him. And then I realized, you know, the voiceover, Leota even because... says, no, yeah. it's just because he wants all the money for himself. Yeah. That's the only reason he has killed yeah. every single one of these people that he was ostensibly friends with you know there's a line earlier in the movie where it says with sort of like the old rules it was people would get killed because they broke the rules Mm because they talk then eventually it got to the point where people would just get killed let me find the quote okay murder became normal hits became a habit people would get killed for no reason it it became a sport yeah That comes right at sort of the height of the whole lifestyle porn, quote unquote, of the movie. Right. (laughs) You know, it's where all this fun stuff is going on. And then he talks about, yeah, hits just became a habit. We just started killing other people all the time. From the outside, it seems like that there's a lot of talk about loyalty. Yeah. Never rat out your friends. Mm -hmm. Always keep your mouth shut. There's loyalty in those scenes. Like you're talking about Jimmy. It's hard sometimes to watch those scenes where he's like best friends with Henry and Tommy when he's ready to kill them like that. At any moment. That's why I think that that scene with um, Jimmy and Karen hit so much harder this time because she saw the loyalty that she felt from the family because she talked about before about how like we always did stuff together we were always together it was like we were another family she saw that that was pretty much bullshit yeah she finally saw it at that scene she realized she couldn't trust him she couldn't trust any of them because it was all a lie if they're really ready to get rid of them that easily yeah 
And loyalty doesn't actually mean shit to these guys if it's going to affect them in a negative way. That's right. As soon, it's very selfish. As soon as it They're affects me getting going, the possibility that I could get caught or if it affects, yeah. you know, my cut then you're dead. Yeah. And that's sort of what I think is the biggest argument against the idea that this movie glorifies the lifestyle. Because all the way through the movie, even the famous scene, the do you think I'm funny scene. It's terrifying. terrifying. I mean, for goodness sake, Tommy pulls out a gun and points it directly at Henry. And like he's laughing and joking. He's got a fucking gun in his face. His finger is on the trigger of the damn thing. Mm-hmm. And after that, you see Henry's got his hands like crossed in front of his chest. Like he's just terrified, even though he's laughing. And he holds yeah. his hand up to his eye in I this weird that way. <laughs> you know, he keeps doing that. He's <laughs> laughing wildly and he's got his hand up to his eye and all these things like he's self protecting like a little part of him actually believes that tommy would have done it and he cannot let him show well as supposedly that was based on a real incident that joe pesci Pesci. experienced and it's like and it's it perfectly encapsulates tommy's character even though it's not something that the real tommy actually did for this movie this is exactly who tommy is you never know with tommy you know when he's really scary though which makes sense with what comes right after it is um, after he's shot Spider in the foot. Yeah. The next night when they're gambling and Spider comes up and after he tells him to go fuck himself, he ever, just all the guys are laughing at that. He is just sitting there stone faced. Yes. It's terrifying in his face because you know exactly what's coming because that's what Joe Pesci is so good yeah. at. But uh, that always gets to me. Just the look on his face. They're like, you're going to deal you with gonna that? Take that? You're going to let him get away with that? But for me, I see uh, that as Jimmy's character throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. You know, Tommy is that in one scene. Jimmy is that all the way through. You know, he's, he's hiding. He's hiding something all the time. He, I mean, they say at the beginning, hits never bothered Jimmy. Yeah. He had no problem killing people yeah. from the time he was a young teenager. It was just business. Yeah. yeah. And he enjoyed stealing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's the kind of guy that rooted for the bad guys in the movies. Exactly. <laughs> Very much uh, has to do with this movie. You want to root for the bad guys almost because they're kind of awesome to watch and yeah. they're they're charming and they're having fun and they're they're out drinking all the time. They socialize all the time. I don't know how they do that. <laughs> Watching this, oh, I like I'd be like, can you just have some time alone? My God. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> but then, part of their culture though. It's part of their. Yeah. I mean, I mean, mob culture, not you know sure. Italian culture, just mob culture. They always have to have this appearance. I mean, Friday night is for the wives. Saturday was for the girlfriends. I mean, they're always out. No, the other way around. Always, or, okay. Saturday was for the wives. Friday nights, the Copa was for the girlfriends. Girlfriends, okay. I, I, I had that backwards. <laughs> and that scene is so, you just see how racist Tommy oh, is. I'm talking about Sammy Jeez. Davis Jr. and all this stuff. And it's yeah. like, and uh, I don't want to be kissing that King Cole here. You know, and all those sorts of things. <laughs> All of it's there. It's always been there. Mm -hmm. And I think Scorsese is saying, you know, we're not glorifying these guys. These are terrible people. These are (laughs) awful people. But somehow presenting it in such an incredibly entertaining movie. Mm -hmm. It's it's brilliant. It's a masterstroke. I was just kind of thinking about this, too, as if like if I was in the role of Maury or Spider or something, I would absolutely be one of those people. I would try to be cool, but I would probably end up saying the wrong thing. Like you can say the tiniest little wrong thing and be killed like with Spider. 
Spider, like the other guys can tell Tommy to go fuck himself, but Spider can't. Spider can't. And it's just, it's such a, it's such a line that they walk. That's what I was feeling the whole time. It, they're walking such a tight line with each other, yeah. even though they're presented as friends the entire movie. Yeah. Because you don't really know. Like I said, that loyalty is, is bullshit. It's not there because they're all very selfish in what they're doing. They're acting as if they're friends and they're family. They have all those cute little pictures, you know, and they say, like, we always went on trips and stuff together. And we always went over to each other's houses and we were always there. You still feel the tension Mm -hmm. of not wanting to do the wrong thing. Right. And one of the things that's so weird, this comes up in the hostess party, I think, and then also in the wedding. It's almost like they're in this big inbred family. (laughs) You know, there's this weird, <laughs> there's this weird sense of inbreeding. They all have the same names. Mm-hmm. They all have bad skin. They all wear bad clothes. They all hang out together, and they there are never any outsiders around ever. Mm-hmm. They go on vacations together. There's something unnatural feeling about all that. You know, like it's yeah. incestuous in a way. It's creepy. Just a completely different read than I've ever had with it before, uh, mm-hmm. which is just kind of interesting. I mean, uh, obviously, there's the great shots, there's the fun shots, there's the Copacabana in the kitchen, and the we all know that we all know yeah. that stuff. But then the line where he says, "What do you do?" and he says, "Oh, I'm in construction," <laughs> and he's lying. He's like, "You don't look like you're in construction." He says, "Oh, I'm a union." Well, she's feeling it. She's I'm feeling his hands. Rep. Yeah, she knows that there's something off about all this. I think I focused on the things that were off this time mm-hmm. that are very intentionally placed in the midst of this glitzy element. And, oh, yeah. Um, too. It's really made it fascinating to me. And it made me feel for more of the outside characters, too. Yeah. Like, if I had been in that, I would have been like a Mori. Like, a Mori always used to, like, annoy me because, like, just like he annoys the guys yeah. in the movie. But then you... He really, he's just trying to be involved and he's, mm-hmm. he's not the same as them. And yeah. he's in danger the whole time. Like one <clears> of the best shots in the movie is after Lufthansa and he's asking for his money and it's that shot of Jimmy when the sunshine of your love comes on. Yes. And it's that look. You said you never really know what Jimmy's thinking. You know exactly what Jimmy you is do. thinking in that moment. You he's do. going to kill Maury. You know it before Henry does. The next line that yeah. Henry says is... Okay, so the sunshine of your love, then that slow push in, the cigarette smoke, all that stuff, the wafting up. We know that Jimmy's going to kill Maury. In the very next scene, he says something to Henry in the car, and Henry, and then the voiceover comes on. That's when I knew that Jimmy was going to kill Maury. Oh, yeah, he's, Jimmy asks, like, do you think Maury tells his wife everything? And there's another freeze frame when he says that, like, that's when I knew that he was going to kill Maury. Like, those freeze frames happen at really interesting points in the movie, like, really important points. They do. I mean, the first one is, well, the... The the, guy's head in the oven. Well, it's before that. It's when he's beaten by his father. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Yeah. he says, the way I figure it, everyone needs to take a beating some sometimes yeah, yeah i forgot about that one yeah so i think though technically it does free, freeze frame on his face for a moment right after says as far back as i remember i wanted to be a gangster but as far as i could tell everyone needs to take a beating sometimes is the first and then the head in the oven after that my, <laughs> no my, my mother anybody. had to go down to the post office to complain <laughs> <laughs> because we weren't uh-huh. getting any mail 
all of the sort of benefits are linked to this horrible stuff. Yeah. Because the freeze frame where he's in front of the exploding cars Mm -hmm. and how they got that shot without that kid getting hurt, I have no idea. (laughs) It's pretty amazing. That lucky kid gets like one of the best shots. He gets one of the best shots in the movie and it's freeze frame. And and that's the scene where he says, one time, the kids in the neighborhood carried my mother's groceries home from the store. You know why? It was out of respect. It's not respect. It's not respect. It's fear. It's never, it's never respect. It's fear. Yeah. Well, after that, you have the whole thing where they're hanging out and they're playing cards and Maury's kind of being funny and... And I love that the uh, voiceover is sort of not telling the story after the fact. It's telling the story in the moment a little bit, mm-hmm. often, yeah. because Jimmy he's says... He's relieved. He's, he's relieved that yeah, he's going to kill Maury. Yeah, Jimmy's, yeah, Jimmy says, forget about tonight, and, and he says, I don't think Maury knew how close he came to getting whacked that night. And then in the very next moment, uh, Maury's whacked that night. And that's another thing with Jimmy, where the characters in the in the movie itself can't always read him. Is Jimmy just saying that because he senses that Henry is nervous and kind of tense about it all and just to get him to chill out a little bit? Because he yeah. clearly still had every intention of, of killing Maury. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, you know, they get in the carbone can't. <laughs> they got to wait for the car to warm up and all that <laughs> other stuff. And, and Tommy, you know, what stabs him with an ice pick through the neck or something like yeah. that. And, and then they just get out of the car and stuff. It's all very matter of fact. It's clinical. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're so clinical about the murders so often. In this I movie. always wondered if it was because he, he got Henry involved as much as he needed him to. Like yeah. he got Maury there because Henry is the closest to Maury. Mm-hmm. That was one thing that I kind of actually liked about Henry's character this time was how protective he was of Maury. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like, you know, dude, you got to You got to stop. You got you can't. Yeah. You can't. Just be going after. You're going to get your money. You just got to wait. Just be cool. You're going to get killed if you don't shut up is basically what he's saying. Yeah. And the whole time he's, you wonder where that comes from. You just wonder if it's because he feels sorry for the guy because, you know, obviously seems like he's trying really hard, but he's just not one of them. Yeah. He's just not. And, you know, that whole sequence after that where you just see the results of Jimmy's rampage, first of all beautifully that piano sequence from Layla the carbone in the meat yeah when you see in slow motion like the bodies falling out of the garbage truck and it's sort of weirdly beautiful and yeah (laughs) yeah and you know the 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 shots in that Michael Ballhouse who was the DP on this movie, that moving camera is just Mm -hmm. beautiful and just the most fluid camera movements possible I think he is the perfect DP for this movie. No one else could shoot this so. movie because essentially as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster sets the camera in motion and it hardly s- stands still for a moment until mm-hmm. he's arrested at the end of the movie. It's yeah. just moving almost constantly except for in a couple of shots where it's like two shots where, where they're doing improvisations. But otherwise Either the camera's always moving or someone in the frame is moving. There's just motion all the time, and it's so effective. And when the camera holds still, it actually brings more attention to it, Mm -hmm. to a moment. Exactly. But this whole sequence where, you know, it starts out with sort of the kids approaching the car, the the pink Cadillac, and then it just, the the music starts and the camera pulls up and you see the one, I can't remember his name. Johnny Roast Beef. Yeah, Johnny Roast Beef. (laughs) It just 
then the woman he's just married dead inside their pink Cadillac. I always, and yeah, I always like the little touch of it. it still had the dealer it has sticker. It saw the dealer sticker car. and there's blood all over it. Yeah. Yeah. And then by the time they found Carbone in the meat truck, they had to let him thaw out for two days so they could do the autopsy. Yeah. And, you know, when they kill Stax, Samuel L. Jackson looking very young. How? So young. Yeah. So skinny. He's really skinny, no <laughs> doubt. And, and they have, again, all these details because he mentions, you know, he used to come around and play guitar and they show him him there with his guitars against the wall and he's he got stoned and left the truck out and so that's why he's dead then the other people are though are dead are they dead because they stupidly spent money they shouldn't have or are they dead well it's because jimmy wanted the money for himself is really why maybe stacks it started with stacks yeah like he did something stupid, so yeah. in their way, that's why he had to die. Mm-hmm. And then he was just like, well, now I can justify maybe getting rid of the rest of them, too. And one of the things about these guys, they so often, the the people involved with the gangs and stuff and connected with them, so often blame black people for, for oh, things. Yeah. You know, the, it's, it's... He says that two guys just stole his truck. Two, yeah, two guys just stole my truck, and, and, he, and, and it's really Henry and Tommy. and Tommy, yeah. Or when he's talking to Karen about people who really goes to jail. Yeah, exactly. No one goes to jail unless they want to, and they pin it on certain folks. Yes. It just shows what, again, what horrible people these guys are. Yeah, exactly. And it's fascinating just sort None of, of this makes us like done. hate the movie no it's not condoning all, it's not condoning it's, them but, it's 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 trying to show you the reality of it yeah this doesn't make me hate the movie or anything anymore it just it actually makes me appreciate it more because you always hear the backlash about it glorifying these guys when it's really not it's clearly showing what terrible people these guys are all the time how how inconsiderate they are to the people that they say that they're protecting like um at the beginning when he's when he's a teenager he's talking about what Polly actually does he's like yeah. we're there to like give protection to the people that can't go to, go to the, the cops. cops when really they treat those people like shit yeah throughout the movie they're always shaking them down or fuck you pay me any problems he goes to Polly trouble with the bill he can go to Polly trouble with the cops deliveries Tommy he can call Polly but now the guy's got to come up with Polly's money every week no matter what Business bad? Fuck you, pay me. Oh, you had a fire? Fuck you, pay me. Place got hit by lightning, huh? Fuck you, pay me. And then finally, when there's nothing left, fucking shame. When you can't borrow another buck from the bank or buy another case of booze, you bust the joint out. You light a match. Fuck you, pay me. Yeah, yeah. That's what it came down to. You know, they must really feel, feed guys to the lions down there. You know, that, that <laughs> or they're just they're just inconsiderate. When he's talking about how like these guys can do whatever they want and no one cared, like that means you're a fucking asshole. Mm-hmm. Like you're so inconsiderate of these people that you say you're protecting when really you just see them as the little people. And you're looking down at them because they they're living an honest life, and that's that's wrong to them. When really they're clearly doing the wrong thing, they're the wrong ones. And all they're doing is looking out for themselves and all of it. Sure, it gets them more money. A really telling line in the voiceover is at the end of that scene with the Layla piano ending, all the bodies and stuff. He comes on and says Jimmy was cutting every link between him and the robbery. But it had nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. It's because that's all that matters. 
Yeah. I'm going to be fine. Yeah. Even these guys that he was supposedly friends with, like, he's yeah. like, I don't care. I don't care that you're dead as long as I'm not dead. As long dead. as it's not me. As as I'm not in danger. Yeah. Whatever. That's fine. He even has a line like that at the end of that, doesn't yeah. he? Where he's just like, eh, that's just how it had to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess that's Jimmy in, in my book is just this terrifying, quiet presence. Whereas Mm -hmm. Tommy is kind of the opposite of that. He's terrifying temper. You know, he could lose his temper at any moment. Loud, very loud presence. (laughs) And and in a lot of ways, a lot like Pesci's character of Nikki in Casino. But Tommy is, it's not exactly the same character to me. Tommy is, uh, Mm -mm. I know Henry Hill commented that Tommy was the scariest person he ever met in his life. Believe it. If he was like this, yeah, I totally believe that. And he says, he says, okay, Joe Pesci didn't look anything like Tommy, sure, but he plays the character a lot like, I mean, if anything, Tommy was scarier, but he does justice to how frightening this person was. It's funny because I actually noticed Tommy a lot less this time around. I think I focused more on the other character, weirdly enough. I did too. But even though Tommy so often gets sort of the focus of the movie, and rightly so, because I mean... Uh, obviously, this was the big Oscar that this movie won, was Best Supporting Actor for mm-hmm. Joe Pesci, and I think it's deserved. Did Thelma sure. Schoonmaker, she, I think she won editing for this one as well. This was, No, that was the only one that it won was for him. Oh, okay. That's a shame because... like six or seven. Yeah, but. because... Um, yeah, because it was nominated for director. I'm pretty sure it was nominated for editing because the editing in this movie is ridiculously mm-hmm. good. Tommy, I would say maybe he's the one you don't focus on as much because there's nothing really behind him to figure out. He is pretty much who he presents himself as. That's true. He's a hothead, like they Mm -hmm. say. And I like what um, Polly says about him. He calls him crazy and everything, but he also says he's got something to prove. I just kind of wonder what that meant. But he is pretty much who he says he is. He's he's not afraid to kill people and let people know that he doesn't care Mm -hmm. about it because I think that probably adds to his reputation as someone to be feared. He doesn't really go much deeper than that. He's just... You know everything you need to know about him in the You Think I'm Funny scene. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And then going from there, I mean, you have the killing of Billy Bats in the middle of the movie. And again, this is where with the whole go get your shine box, you know, you're like, Tommy's going to kill him. What freaks me out is Jimmy in that scene. Yes. He's cool. It's like, hey, you know, hey, we're, we're obviously having a little bit of a Drinks issue around the here. house. Drinks yeah. around the house. Mm-hmm. Then as soon as Tommy comes back in, he grabs Billy just like him and just starts kicking the shit out of him. It's just like turns on a dime and it's so terrifying. Jimmy knows exactly what Tommy's going to do mm-hmm. and he's he's with him the whole time. Henry. Henry's taken back. by surprise. Yeah, I think he knows that Tommy was going to kill him, but they're very, yeah. they're they're both into it. Jimmy is almost as into it as Tommy is beating the shit out of bats. Yeah. That one shot of his face, like, is he's kicking him. And the thing is, you wonder if, since Tommy gets killed, why doesn't Jimmy for that? They're saying it was real greaseball shit. Maybe because he's not Italian. But you'd think that would make him more vulnerable than Tommy. Right. I don't know. It's yeah. very strange. Maybe Jimmy just made him more money. Possibly. Possibly. Like, Tommy's already caused him too much shit, obviously, because he's a hothead. It was for bats, and it was for a lot of other things. Yeah. So, I think Jimmy was a little bit more, he kept himself in check on that side of him, and he was a good earner, like they said. Yeah. <laughs> so, maybe that's why they kept him around. Another kind of horror movie scene, too, is uh, when they go to b- dig up his body. Yeah. I love the way they shot it. It's like the red, the red from the car and then like the smoke. 
another funny scene, but funny on top of the horrifying. Well, Henry's out there, you know, puking. He can't puking. handle it, and the other guys are making jokes. Yeah. Hey, here's a leg. <laughs> here's a wing, you know. Uh, yeah. And it's not bothering Henry at all, too. He's just like, oh, that's so bad, yeah. like the smell. Like, yeah. Not just that they've killed somebody and they have to, they're digging him back up six months later. Yeah. Tommy's murder, it comes at this moment where the voiceover is oblivious to what's going to happen. Because mm-hmm. uh, he says, we used to call each other good fellas. That's where the title, he's a good fella, he's one of us. And now Tommy was going to be part of the club. Having a maid guy in our crew was like we were all getting made and yeah. all these things. And we couldn't be because we had Irish blood and these sorts of things. Then Tommy is taken into the room by the old school gangsters and it's empty. And he starts saying, oh, no. Oh, no. And he gets yep. shot in the face. That's really A couple days ago on Twitter, there was the meme going around the I'm dead and I know it. <laughs> the best the best <laughs> I'm dead and I know it scene. Right. Uh, I got to say, for me, it's probably that one. That half a second when he's like, oh, fuck. It is just one of those moments. It's really something. And the, the guy says, well. That's that. Yeah. And the phone call with Jimmy. Mm. Oh, God. They're like, oh, there's nothing we could do about it. Sorry. I mean, he's just, he's just. Yeah, done. he's gone. It's, he's gone. That's it. That's it. Another. No big deal. Another great thing. Um, I really like that scene where he finds out about Tommy's murder and the, the way that it holds. There's no music and the, the voiceover keeps intercutting, but it, it just lets it play out. Yeah. Their reaction to it. I love that shot. That's the one time you see Jimmy show real emotion. Yeah. It's ironic that they say, well, that's that in that movie. And then um, what's Joe Pesci's famous line now from uh, The Irishman? (laughs) It is what it is. That's why it was at the end of Casino, too. Yeah. So it's really interesting that it's it's sort of the other side of it. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, Joe Pesci is the one that gets taken out in the in the first <laughs> in those two movies. And then he's yeah. the one who's standing over the body in The Irishman. Mm-hmm. I think that is kind of brilliant. I got to watch The Irishman. I got to watch it again. It, it's really something I, th- I would actually like to watch. Uh, sort of the quad, the tetralogy. <laughs> mean Streets, Goodfellas, Casino, Irishman. Yeah, just watch them close together. Watch them consecutive days or something. I don't know if I could watch them all in one day. Um, that'd be a lot. Probably not. <laughs> but watching them in that way, I think, would be really interesting. And to see a filmmaker at various stages of his career mm-hmm. and life. Four very different stages. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, Casino was only a few years after this, but Casino feels a million miles away as far as it his does. career went from this. Because after Goodfellas, I mean, it was like Scorsese's back. I mean, after Last Temptation of Christ, it was like his career is over. He's done, you know. And for him to come back with Goodfellas and have it be really the biggest hit of his career up to that point. Would you say that Goodfellas is probably the the highlight of his whole career? I think it's the key film. I think so. <laughs> it's hard to say. Because, I mean, a few filmmakers make multiple masterpieces. He has. And he has. He- I, I would say Goodfellas is probably at the top of all of them, though. It's yeah. the most well-known. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's the easiest to, to love. Mm-hmm. You know, Taxi Driver, maybe not so much <laughs> by most people. Taxi Driver is a masterpiece, but it's an early masterpiece. It's a masterpiece mm-hmm. of a young man. It's something so different than anything else. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, probably the second real masterpiece. Well, Raging Bull. I'm sorry. Raging Bull is a masterpiece, too. And then this one, I think, is the third. 
And I think this is probably the pinnacle, and which is really saying so. something. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with it. I think I agree with it. I, Even though, I, I mean, okay. And I said this more or less before. Even though I put Taxi Driver as my forever favorite, this is probably the one I <laughs> right. enjoy more. This is the one I watch more often. But I didn't. It's easier to watch. <laughs> it is easier to watch. It's, but it's, it's, it's also one that I didn't want to end up pairing with Casino. <laughs> right. For a couple of reasons. I mean, obviously, there's enough similarity. I mean, they're different enough, of course. They're quite different in a lot of ways. But I think it's horribly easy to draw comparisons between the two, you know? Right. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite things I read when I was reading the Wikipedia page for Goodfellas, just to familiarize myself with some facts. One of my favorite things was like just kind of talking about Scorsese's career at the time when he made this was Pelagy said that Scorsese called him and said, I've been waiting for this script for my whole life. Yeah. And Pillagey said back to him, I've been waiting for this phone call my whole life. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the perfect marriage <laughs> like of they material bo- yeah, exactly. and, and Like they both director. knew it was the perfect time for them to get together and make this because they had something really special together and they could create something really special together. And fuck yeah, they did. Yeah. <laughs> and it was it came at the perfect time in his career for this to happen. It really is. And the thing is, he was at probably his, well, maybe, I don't know if it was his lowest point, but I mean, the most challenging point in his career had been with the release of The Last Temptation of Christ. I mean, he was getting, which is bizarre to me, but he was getting death threats and he was getting all sorts of people protesting him and all these horrible things said and done against him. And for him to then come out and make a film, I mean, some would say he's just returning to what he does. Well, right. he, the, he, what he had done in the gangster really genre wasn't. had really yeah. only been Mean Streets up to that point. And mean Streets is totally different. Mean Streets is so different. I mean, it's completely different. It's not a focus on the lifestyle at all. It's a character study. It's a personal film. This doesn't feel like a personal film in the sense of I relate to this. This is like he watched this out his window growing up. Yeah. So there's a certain amount of his own personal flair and flavor in it. But he wasn't an insider. He didn't know yeah. these, guys, these guys exactly <laughs> as intimately as Henry Hill. Or it doesn't seem to be the case as far as I know. But he recognized it. He recognized yeah. this world out there. And I think... He recognized, like you were, we were talking about the food and stuff. He's like, yeah, that that he gets. I mean, that world. I mean, obviously, right. it's it's no mistake that his mother is playing uh, Tommy's mom. <laughs> you know, Catherine Scorsese, Catherine, we love you. Catherine Scorsese <laughs> adds such energy to any movie she's. She does. In. I love her. And even <laughs> she, she's in a shot at the hostess party too. Yes, and she's just sort of in there, and it's just sort of. (laughs) He's got a nice girl. He's settling down now. (laughs) Pretty soon they're going to have a family. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I love that. (laughs) All of these things, and it's and she's just playing herself. I mean, she she's very much playing herself. And if you if you watch the short film Italian American, you see that she's playing herself. Yeah, uh, totally. Which is a movie about (laughs) that documentary he made about his parents. (laughs) I, I really enjoy that movie. Um, I did too. I, I was like, "Yeah, she, that's exactly how she is," and I love, I love saying that. Yeah, that scene where they come to her house in the middle of the night is just so perfect too. It's one of my favorite. <laughs> it's one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, because yeah. they are so different with her, obviously, than they are with anybody else, and mm-hmm. it's kind of sweet in a way. Yeah, 
I love what Tommy says when she's ragging on him again about getting a girl and he's like I have a different girl every I get night. a I get a girl every night and then the next day I'm free I want to be with you and like gives her a kiss <laughs> yeah, on the it's, cheek it's kind of a cute little moment I like that the whole thing and her painting the whole thing about the painting I love it one dog's facing one way the other dog so she's like one's what, facing east one facing west? west whatever you know it's just hey it looks like someone we know which to me I look at that and go not really not really no <laughs> they're seeing stuff that's not there because i mean they're in this state they're in this psychology of it and honestly that moment reminds me of a moment in hitchcock uh, in strangers on a train where bruno's mother has painted a portrait and bruno sees it as his father and she goes really uh i thought i was painting saint francis it just reminded me of that you know it's sort of this funny scene but it kind of gets into the psychology just a touch of what the characters are dealing with as well which i thought was interesting but then again like there's that fun quirky little scene with his mom and it goes right back into showing you the horror because yep. it pans out to the car you can hear him in the trunk yeah he's still alive yeah like i said i noticed a lot more of that stuff before when you, where it's showing the lifestyle you can see why people would be attracted to it you can see why people why we're attracted to watching the movie but there's always that undertone he never forgets that there's this dark undertone to everything and that this is a very dangerous lifestyle with very bad people in it it's never not that yeah exactly and i think that maybe is a good way to talk about the main character that we haven't really talked about and that's henry himself oh henry yeah, yeah. We've, what we've, about we've, him <laughs> we've talked about uh jimmy we've talked about karen we've talked about tommy of course paulie i think sort of interweaves through all of this he mm. touches everyone but i think he touches uh henry the most as far as he comes in contact in the movie Polly treats him as kind of like the son he never had the one he's mm-hmm. the most proud of the one he wants to see actually become something yeah. and, and not screw it up like he feels that tommy and jimmy do yeah i think so too there is a very fatherly element to that actually that scene after when he tells him not to get into drugs yeah yeah that scene in particular There are a couple of scenes like that, because after the gun in the face sequence, Henry goes and lives with Janice. Oh, And then they say, hey, you got to go back. You got to keep up appearances. That's very like old school Italian stuff. Very old school. (laughs) And I thought that was, I thought that was interesting. It's like. I didn't really like him in that because he's like. I know. I know just how, I know just how to talk to her. I know just what to say to her. I know. It's like, don't fucking patronize her, you asshole. (laughs) But at the same time, he's right because Karen has sort of. She's drunk the Kool-Aid. I think she sees Polly as a little bit of a father figure, too. I think so. Because you see her father, and her father is kind of weak, you know? <laughs> he hasn't her... been able to digest a decent meal in six weeks. <laughs> Damn it, you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite lines. <laughs> one of my favorite lines. I love that. Because you always walk all over him. Whereas Polly, he's, I guess, the Gary Cooper type of this movie. He's the strong, silent type. Yeah. He's the godfather. In the sense, more like more like Tony Soprano, <laughs> you know, this movie's <laughs> influence on the Sopranos is gigantic. I, and I still have not watched the Sopranos. Yeah. Sorry. Well, what's funny about this movie is, is you see several main characters of, oh, yeah. of the Sopranos are little, even just like characters that you don't even see for more than a couple seconds are like main characters on the Sopranos. 
Like there's this guy who is going through the coats when they bring in the mink coats oh. and stuff. So what am I going to do with mink coats? It's like there's this guy who's like, summer, yeah, yeah, it's 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 Big Pussy <laughs> from The Sopranos, who's a okay. major character in The Sopranos in the first two seasons. And then you have Paulie from The Sopranos, who's one of the guys at the cab stand at the beginning. Then you have, of course, Michael Imperioli plays Spider. And he plays Christopher on The Sopranos. Oh, so there are a few like that. And some of it's really small bit things and some things are a, a little tiny bit bigger. But Lorraine Bracco is Lorraine Bla- Bracco, absolutely. Yeah, she plays uh, Tony's psychiatrist. And that's the biggest connection uh, between the right. two. But I've, I've always meant to watch that. I've seen the first episode like mm-hmm. three times, but oh. I've never like, gotten past that for some reason. I don't know why. I got to get into it eventually. Another character I noticed for the first time was that Jimmy's parole officer is Tobin Bell. Seriously? Yeah. Jigsaw himself. He's in the movie for approximately two seconds. But I, I was like, was that Tobin Bell? And then there he was. He's in the closing credits. He was the really? parole officer. Well, now I got to go back and watch that. You know, oh, darn. You got to watch this movie this... again, right? Oh, darn. I have to watch this movie again. <laughs> In the scene where he's when he's talking about getting him involved in the drug business and he gets called over, mm-hmm. the, that's the one. That that's Tobin that's Bell. Okay, yeah. I have to go watch that again. Yeah, <laughs> one thing I noticed too. Uh, this is going back to Jimmy just a little bit. This was a detail that I noticed that just sparked something in my mind. I don't know if what it means exactly, but okay, Jimmy has a tattoo on his forearm, mm-hmm. which looks like a military tattoo. It does. And I'm not sure if it's a military tattoo or a prison tattoo, but I have a feeling it's a military tattoo, which makes me wonder if he's a World War II veteran or Korean War veteran and come back to this lifestyle. And I don't know why that struck me, but it was an interesting detail that... You only see it that one time. Yeah, you see it in in that sequence you were talking about. You also see it when he was arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the scene where he ru- the scene where he roughs up Maury, and then at the scene at the end when he's arrested, because he's never wearing short sleeves at any other point in the movie. Yeah, he's always wearing a suit. But it's a. I, I don't know exactly what it means, if it means anything, or if it's just something that struck me oddly. But it's one of those interesting little tidbits. I mean, maybe that's why killing doesn't bother him. Possibly. Been desensitized to it. Maybe he was a war hero. And, you know, here he's just a soldier in a different sense. And that's what this movie is. This is a movie of soldiers. And I think this is the first movie to really show the mob soldiers in this Mm -hmm. respect. There's no ascent to like there were in the 30s movies. Because all of those people... Uh, and the public enemy, etc., and uh, Little Caesar and Scarface, they all start out as small potatoes, you know, the soldiers or the enforcers, and then they end up being the bosses. There's none of that happening. Mm. They, these guys all stay at the same level during the whole well, they can't movie. because they're not, they're not Italian. Yeah, they're not Italian. They can't be made except for Tommy, and Tommy screwed up. There's one thing that I, I caught on to that I didn't really know what it meant before. It's in the, the scene with Bats. After they've had their argument and Tommy's like yelling and leaving, he says something about how you bought your fucking button. Oh. And I always wondered what that meant. And I learned now that being a button man or getting mm-hmm. your button means that you're a made guy. I never learned that little detail before. So I thought that was interesting. Like if he's saying you bought your button, he's seeing him as someone who became a made guy, maybe not as honorably. I see. 
Ah, that's I just thought that was an interesting little thing. I had never noticed before I had about never it. noticed. I didn't even catch the line. That's interesting. Yeah. I was just watching it with the subtitles, and I was like, what does that mean? Button. <laughs> now, that makes sense, though. It's another mob lingo mm-hmm. I did not know before. And there's yeah, a lot of that in this movie that it doesn't get explained. Yeah. It just is. You know, this is the language that they use, and you don't get a translation. Nope. Which is good, you know, for the most part. Now, you don't get a translation. There are a few things he explains, but not much. Like, even the idea of what it means to be a made guy, they go into much more detail of that on The Sopranos, for example. That it's not all that great. You know, one character gets made, Mm -hmm. and he just adds to his stress. Because now he's got to earn all this so much money, and he's got to kick it up to the next guy up on the totem pole as you, as you go, it's just, it's just stressful and it practically yeah. ruins his life almost and leads him almost to becoming a Henry Hill kind of character. It's really interesting. Henry. Okay. So we, go yeah, ahead. we started all this out by saying we were going to talk about Henry. Yeah. <laughs> so, we got to talk Henry. about Henry because Henry <laughs> is, he's our voice. He's our guide through the world. He tells us about what Polly does. He tells us about how all of this stuff works. We got to like him. <laughs> and he does I some don't. pretty <laughs> nasty shit. You know, he's an anti-hero. Yep. He's the lead, but he's he's not a good guy and, and nope. at all. And Scorsese has always specialized in anti-heroes. You have a weird relationship with Henry as you're watching this. Mm-hmm. Like, you kind of kind of like him. He's a good-looking guy, like mm-hmm. I said. He's very nice I'll, to watch. I'll agree. He looks, I'll good ag- in the, he looks good in the costumes. He looks good in the clothes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I Okay, that shot where they show him really the first time we see him after he's been portrayed as oh, a kid pay- when he's just leaning against he, the car yeah. by the airport. I mean, he looks he's cool, looking nice. Right? Yeah, I looking yeah. very attractive. Yeah, I, I love that part. And then the, mm-hmm. he's he's the star. It's like all of it, you see Ray Liotta there. It's like, wow, this guy has got something. He's able it's to just be beautifully shot. Super moment. charming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's able to be super charming. You can see why. You can kind of see where Karen yeah. is attracted. Um, and then he's not so great. He's pretty abusive. Yes. Very abusive to all of the women, except for Janice, really. And Sandy, uh, well, Janice, he leaves Janice for, for Sandy. Sandy, he just takes advantage of. Yeah. It's funny because all of a sudden Janice is just gone from the movie entirely. Yeah. She's just gone. And then there's Sandy. I think Karen scared her, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, maybe she doesn't stick around after he goes to jail. Yeah. That sort of thing. Because he's gone in for, what, four years or mm-hmm. five, four or five years. Because he gets arrested while Polly's a- attempting to get him to go back to Karen. Yeah. Uh, while he's in Tampa feeding people to the lions, right? But I think um, we're set up with this whole idea where I, even from the childhood sequence where he just envies this world. He just wants to be yeah. in it. He wants to belong. And you get that even all the way to the last line. It's like we were treated like movie mm-hmm. stars with muscle. You know, it's like what I really miss was the life. Even the last lines. We were part of something. We were in the middle of it all. Movie stars with muscle, I think, is an interesting line that he gives. And now it's all to, over. And now it's all over. <laughs> It's so weird to hear him say that after everything that he's just been through. Yeah. He's like, I still miss it. <laughs> Even like it tried to kill him. It nearly killed him. On who knows how many occasions too. Right. That he didn't even know about maybe. Because yeah. <laughs> I mean, how close was he to being 
part of the whole Lufthansa massacre. We don't ever really know. I mean, he he's told, don't spend a bunch of money. What does he do? He spends a bunch of money on Christmas for the kids and for Karen and for the tree. Well, Jimmy, wouldn't have, Jimmy wouldn't have seen that. Right. Maybe it was okay. But he knew enough to just set it up, take his money and keep his mouth shut. What I like at the beginning when he's just talking about as a kid admiring the lifestyle is when he said they were somebodies in a neighborhood full of nobodies. I think that's what carries through in his character through the whole movie pretty much because you see his family life before that is they were a bunch of nobodies and they didn't have anything. And he, you know, it's that thing where you like you want to live a better life even if it costs you your soul. That's basically what he's done. Yeah. I think in a way... Uh, Henry's character on the whole is sort of a microcosm of what was happening to the mob entire at that time because his downfall comes from getting involved in drugs and that was the downfall of the old mob because people would start getting longer and longer sentences drug sentences were lengthy for selling and trafficking drugs. I mean, before that, racketeering, different things like that, uh, five years, ten years, you know. Here, I mean, these were like life sentences. And so people, in order to get out of that, would start ratting. They would start in being yeah. coming informants. That's why Polly's so scared in that one scene. He's like, look at this guy. He's going to die in prison. I'm not going to end up like that. Right. That's where Henry screws up. He should have listened to Polly. Yeah, exactly. And Polly's the voice of conscience in a weird way. Is horrible as yeah. he is. I mean, he's a cold-blooded murderer, too. We just never see him pull sure. a trigger. Oh, God, my favorite shot is at the beginning when uh, he's watching all the guys in the middle of the night making noises and Polly just comes in the door frame and he has that voiceover. He's like, yeah. Polly was in charge of the yeah. the neighborhood, and he he just has to look at the guys, and they're like, "Sorry, Polly." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that just that shows his power right there in that one little shot. And again, it's not real respect; it's fear. Exactly. <laughs> and also, there's that shot where they're at like the backyard barbecue, and he's explaining mm-hmm. what Polly did was give protection to people who couldn't go to the cops, and they just show him eating a hot dog or something like that. And I don't think they would be eating hot dogs. Brian. Well, they were sausages. <laughs> Sorry, my apologies. Sorry, Polly. But he's eating the sausage or whatever, and something about the way he's looking is just terrifying. Mm -hmm. The strong, silent type thing that he has going on is one of authority, but it's also fatherly, like we've said a couple times here. Like, Polly is the one you probably should be the most afraid of in the movie Uh because he's got more power than any of these other guys, but I also kind of liked Polly a lot more this time around because I saw Mm -hmm. those little moments in him Yeah, when really he's he's probably worse than all of them because he's in Mm -hmm. charge of it. He calls for these guys to get killed sometimes. He does. He does. Mm -hmm. He's probably the one who okayed... I bet he was the one who arranged Tommy's death. Yeah, yeah. There's there's no doubt. I I, I would not be surprised. And because is Polly the one no. that he's on the phone uh, with? No, that's somebody else. Okay. Polly wouldn't be the one to give news like that. No. He makes someone else do it. Yeah. Which, he, which I think he did. Because I don't know. So, I mean, we've talked about Henry a lot in conjunction with the other characters, of course. But I think the key thing that encapsulates everything about Henry is the last day sequence. Throughout the movie, there's sort of this gradual equalization of everything in life. Like, he goes to prison, and what's the first thing he talks about? Hey, in prison, dinner was a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> that's just like the weirdest <laughs> thing, right? 
But by the time you get to the last day, everything is of absolutely equal importance. I was going to be busy all day. I had to pick up my brother from the hospital. I had to drop off some guns for Jimmy. I had to pick up my Coke from the Philadelphia guys. I had to send our former babysitter on the plane and all this other... And and I had to make dinner. All of this stuff is of equal importance. And there's this helicopter up Mm -hmm. above. And it's frantic. And everything is going, 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 going constantly... This is where Thelma Schoonmaker, I think, really shows yes. her brilliance. You know, he's popping pills. He's snorting lines. He looks awful. I mean, he's sweating. Yeah, he's got his, the... He's bloodshot. The bloodshot yeah. eyes. Is, and, you know, Karen is just as bad, though. It's like they go to someone's house. Hey, I need a hit. Hey, you want to see yeah. helicopters? I'll show you helicopters. See enough helicopters for one day. <laughs> That's where you see that she's just as much she's into it as completely an accomplice with him at this mm-hmm. point. And she's looking up. She's seeing the helicopters, too, and she's freaking out. And There's all the time stamps throughout the day. But he's just as concerned about stirring the sauce yeah. as he is about the helicopter and getting the veal cutlets ready for their appetizer as he is about his brother, as he is about Jimmy being pissed off at him about the guns, as he is about all this stuff. Getting the Coke and getting Lois ready for her trip. It's just crazy. I mean, it's just everything is the same. It's like, I need my hat. Do you hate Lois or do you like Lois in a, in a little bit of a way, the way she, uh, she kind of... I find her entertaining. I certainly I find, find her entertaining. entertaining. I love the part where Karen and her are playing with the baby and he's going over, he grabs the diaper bag and it's filled with cocaine. She looks just like you look. Oh, that's what the stewardess said. Yeah. <laughs> But that whole thing, you know, I need my hat. And he's like, what was I going to do? She wouldn't fly without her hat and I needed her to fly. So it's almost good for him that that is his last day of being a Mm -hmm. gangster, you know, because he's clearly spiraled. Yeah. He's gotten so into the drugs and so into taking the drugs that it's almost like he needed a, a day like that. He needed something like that to happen to make him realize how deep he was. And like you said, he was warned by Polly not to get into drugs. I mean, Polly like slaps him around to say, you listen to me. Yeah. Because this is going to mess you up. Worse, it's going to mess me up. So he almost had it coming to him in a way. I mean, he was he oh, was totally. warned. He knew exactly how Polly would react. He's had to hide all of that from Polly. And what's the first thing he does after that conversation is he brings Tommy, Tommy and, and Jimmy mm-hmm. on to the scheme while they're waiting for the parole officers. Yeah. <laughs> he started this whole racket while he was in prison. It's like... I don't care what you did in prison. You had to do what you had to do. But this is different. Yeah. He's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, dad. Yeah. And when he goes to see Polly after that and he does, Polly does the whole thing where it's like, now I got to turn my back on you. Yeah. That's kind of an interesting scene because I wonder what that is. Because I do think he has care for Henry throughout the movie. I think he, I think he sees him as a son. Yeah. And uh, he's kind of more proud of him than he is of the other guys in a way because he doesn't yeah. fuck up and when he does like this i think he feels for him but do you think he was also i mean he's probably also orchestrating the hit on henry the possible hit on henry i wonder about that or is it jimmy i think it's jimmy i think jimmy is is behind that honestly yeah you don't think Polly had anything to do because i do see like um, real care for him in that scene where he he's out of prison he's he's clean and he's yeah. apologizing and he's telling him that he's ashamed which is yeah. something that you never think a guy like him would say out loud at least at least of all to another guy you know yeah to admit that kind of emotion 
And when he gives him the money and he's he tells him, I got to turn my back on you. I think that's actually what he is doing. I don't think he ordered him to be killed. I think he is just turning his back on him. I think so, too. Because Polly is a lot of things, but he is, I guess, honorable. Yeah. And you don't feel that about Jimmy or Tommy, certainly. You don't feel like these are honorable guys. They're more selfish than Polly is. Yeah, Polly's old school. Mm-hmm. Polly's about loyalty. Polly's about honor, omerta, that whole code. Mm-hmm. But then what is Henry's reaction? 3200 bucks. That's what he gave me. 3200 bucks for a lifetime. Well, it wasn't even enough to pay for the coffin. Well, he's in a bad situation he's he's trying to focus on how yeah. he's gonna live to the next moment so i know he could he could have had something nice to say about polly in that moment yeah yeah i, th- I think he just sort of the ingratitude of it sort of <laughs> right <laughs> bothered me a little bit this polly has been kind of looking out for him the whole movie yeah but he does use that line where he says it wasn't even enough to pay for the coffin henry knows that he's got issues yeah. he's got reasons to be afraid and he's been afraid this whole movie I think so? really think he's been afraid. I think from the do you think I'm funny scene, he, he just so often seems edgy. You know, like Catherine Scorsese saying to him, you don't talk much. And he's like, I'm just listening. He's scared. I think he's genuinely afraid of what the Billy Bat situation means for them. He's the only one who's really even seems to be thinking about it, that this could mean that they face consequences. Yeah. And, you know, when he gets arrested. Freeze, freeze! Don't you move, you motherfucker. I'll blow your brains out. Shut the car off slowly. For a second, I thought I was dead. But when I heard all the noise, I knew they were cops. Only cops talk that way. Don't fucking move. If they had been wise guys, I wouldn't have heard a thing. I would have been dead. I love the way he says that line. It's just like all the, the life that you've heard mm-hmm. in the voiceover before kind of drains out in that line. He says, I would have been dead. Yeah. You know, and after that, because I said, I don't feel really a second of this movie. Well, that's partially true. In the last part, when it, the movie just dead stops, pretty much. It dead stops and you start feeling the time of it, but in a good way, mm-hmm. I think. Some people really don't like after he gets arrested. Why? They feel like the movie just stops dead and, and it's not entertaining anymore it's not fun anymore that's kind of the point that's the point (laughs) it's not supposed to be fun anymore it's supposed to be scary and you've been planted the seeds of why yeah it's scary all the way through this is what scorsese is trying to say i think with the whole movie Mm -hmm. look i'm not glamorizing this look where he ends up at the end of the movie he's terrified that he's going to get killed at every turn and he should be because that's what these guys are going to do to him there's nothing to glorify about this This is the reality Mm. of the kind of life that these guys live. Yeah. The scene in the restaurant between Jimmy and Henry, Mm -hmm. again, it's shot like a horror film. Uh, he comes in and says, I showed up 15 minutes early and Jimmy was already there. It's not that significant, but it's actually a very scary line in a way. Yeah, it is. It is. They sit at the table and there's a vertigo effect shot where you can see the background and the foreground sort of compress into each other or distance out from each other, one of the two. It's called the vertigo effect. It's made by tracking backwards and zooming yes. forward, zooming in at the same time. I mean, you've 
most people who are listening to this probably are <laughs> totally familiar with this. So if I'm over explaining, I'm sorry. But I mean, it's a famous style that's yeah. done in a lot of movies, but uh, most famously, of course, in Vertigo. But then in Jaws, mm-hmm. when he on the beach, when on the beach, when Brody comes to the realization that the shark is eating the Kittner boy. <laughs> yeah. And this is the same thing, but it's done really, really really slowly. slowly. And it's subtle. I didn't even notice it at first until much later. I can't remember at what point I noticed that in the course of my watching of of this movie over the years. It was was after I had seen Vertigo and learned about the Vertigo effect, I'm sure. But it was interesting. But, I mean, that whole conversation there, your murderers come with smiles. Mm -hmm. And and they come at you when you are most in need of their help. And there's that shot. And And Jimmy is not, he's not giving him any indication verbally Mm -hmm. that he plans on killing him. He's giving him every indication just beneath that. Because Henry knows exactly what he's planning. And he says, I probably wouldn't have come back from Florida alive. I'm sure that's exactly what he had planned. And that's one thing about Henry is he's fairly perceptive of all this stuff. He's able to read under what's going on underneath the words Mm -hmm. throughout the course of the movie for the most part. It's like, that's when I knew that more was going to be killed that's when uh, you know he's always thinking about people getting whacked he's always afraid of it i think and And that's something that i've actually heard the real henry hill say he said he was always afraid of being killed yeah always there's just a constant sense that you were going to get whacked like he always saw the life for what it really was which you know, at first when you hear that that last line from him, first he says, you know, now it's all over. And then he's talking about how you know, he's got to live like a regular schnook for the rest of his life. It's kind of funny at the same yeah. time. You're also thinking it's a really weird moment for his character. Like, it's funny that he, after all, everything that he's been through, he's he's just upset that he can't live like a gangster anymore. But he's alive. Right. <laughs> but here's the thing. It goes back to a line he says early in the movie where he says all those people working regular 9 to 5s they were dead. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Basically, it's like he's saying I am just a regular schnook now. I'm dead anyway. And it's funny that closing shot because he looks up, he's like he sees something and they cut to Tommy shooting directly at camera. Mm-hmm. See, the hardest thing for me was leaving the life. I still love the life. And we were treated like movie stars with muscle. We had it all just for the asking. Our wives, mothers, kids, everybody rode along. I had paper bags filled with jewelry stashed in the kitchen. I had a sugar bowl full of Coke next to the bed. Anything I wanted was a phone call away. Free cars, the keys to a dozen hideout flats all over the city. I'd bet 20, 30 grand over a weekend. And then I'd either blow the winnings in a week or go to the Sharks to pay back the bookies didn't matter didn't mean anything when i was broke i would go out and rob some more we ran everything we paid off cops we paid off lawyers we paid off judges everybody had their hands out everything was for the taking and now it's all over and that's the hardest part today everything is different there's no action i have to wait around like everyone else can't even get decent food. Right after I got here, I ordered some spaghetti with marinara sauce and I got egg noodles and ketchup. I'm an average nobody. Get to live the rest of my life like a schnook. Which is a uh, shot 
I mean, it's directly drawn from you know one robbery. of the <laughs> the great train robbery exactly one of the first movies narrative movies ever made and with one of the most famous cuts ever in film because the whole thing is shot in a wide shot until the robber points the gun directly at the screen and shoots or directly at camera and shoots and that's exactly the shot of Tommy and even with the hat and everything Mm -hmm. it's like it's like an updated version of that yeah yeah and it's so smart I think it it was like a reference to that but it's also and the way he smiles after that and like goes back into the house it's like he's remembering the good times yeah still looking over his shoulder and scared that he's gonna get killed at any moment even though he's in witness protection but he has it's like he has this memory of Tommy and he's like those are good times you know, it's yeah. that's why he's such a Even, weird character. And like, and he was a contradictory person yeah. in real life, too, because you hear him talking about how he was always afraid of getting whacked yeah. and all these things. But then he talks about it all so fondly <laughs> because the voiceover is essentially drawn straight from Wise Guy. Which was a series of interviews with Henry mm-hmm. Hill, essentially. I haven't read Wise Guy in a long time, but that's the way it comes across, uh, is that voice. It's Henry's voice, you know, sort of gleefully telling his story. Yeah. It captures the language unlike any movie ever had before that. Because there's an interesting commentary on the Blu-ray that's Henry Hill and the cop who arrested him. <laughs> You know? I haven't heard that yet. Uh, oh my gosh! Yeah, it's it's um and and it's there. It's fascinating because the actual cop is at the end of the movie. He plays himself at the end of the movie, so he's the one who's setting them up with witness protection okay. program and all that stuff at the end of the film. Oh. So it's the real guy, and it's awesome. uh, it's it's a lot of fascinating things. Like they had the real. Henny Youngman, for example, yeah. <laughs> as the comedian, he kept on screwing up his line. So they were he- holding their breath. You know, <laughs> it's right at the for, end for of that, that whole shot. Yeah, <laughs> all that ma- of that huge shot. Yeah, that elaborate shot. I don't know how many times they had to do that. Eight. I eight times. Wow, that's actually kind of amazing that they got it. It is kind of amazing, Six. still. Yeah, because it's like four um, minutes long. And you know, there's a reason why that shot is talked about. It's because it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's why we haven't really mentioned it because like everyone knows that it's awesome. Everyone talks about it. I mean, (laughs) and you know, everyone since then has just tried to kind of do it again. You know, we talked about in Magnolia, we talked about those kinds of shots, Mm -hmm. but I mean, they all kind of come back to here. He has two shots shots like that in this movie. The restaurant where they're giving all the nicknames. Yeah. And it's going to each guy. Yeah. (laughs) That's one of my favorite. Jimmy two times who got that nickname because he said everything twice. I'm going to go get the papers, get the papers. I mean, the way they interact with the voiceover and the camera and everything, it's just, oh, how did this happen? I know. There was Jimmy and Tommy and me, and there was Anthony Stabile. How you doing? Frankie Carbone. And then there was Mo Black's brother, Fat Andy. And his guys, Frankie the Wop, Freddie No Nose, and then there was Pete the Killer, who was Sally Balls' brother. And you had Nicky Eyes and Mikey Franchese and Jimmy Two Times, who got that nickname because he said everything twice. Like. One of my favorite lines is in that because it's like the most gangster line in the whole movie, I think, is when that one guy is just like, hey, I took care of that thing for you. (laughs) Yeah. 
I yeah, that's fantastic. Oh. So yeah, Goodfellas. <laughs> Goodfellas is pretty fucking awesome, isn't it? It really is. It really is. I don't visit it as much now as I used to. I feel like mm-hmm. I don't watch a lot of movies I've already seen as often as I used to. I tend to watch a lot of movies I haven't seen yet because there are just so many movies on my watch list and I want to see as many of them as I can, you know? But it is just spectacular to revisit something like this. It's so this. easy to revisit it. It's so easy to fall back into this movie. It's like a, it's strangely like a comfort movie, you know? It is, it even is. though we watched it with this darker lens yeah. this time. Both it's... of us sort of independently decided we were going to watch it a little bit differently uh, than we had in the past. I, I don't know if it's just where our experiences there's an, there was the enough familiarity to it but, when i watched yeah. it that i could see that that stuff which um i'm kind of glad for i'm glad i was able to watch it in a different way this time other than just the way i've already always seen it i definitely mm-hmm. got a lot more out of it this last time and talking about it i got a lot more out of it yeah so. me too me too i think that concludes our, our really? discussion on goodfellas <laughs> um but but you know, hey, we've only gone for that's actually pretty good for us. Not bad. Hey. Not bad. That's pretty good. So yeah, I mean, uh, do we have closing thoughts on Goodfellas or just Goodfellas is fucking awesome. Goodfellas is fucking awesome. <laughs> that's all we got. <laughs> but I think I would add though to that, and it's got more layers to it then you can mm-hmm. see it through a lot of different lenses if you really decide to do so. If you decide to watch a different character each time and think about yeah. them specifically, yeah. And you can watch it as a film that glorifies the life or you can watch it as a film that completely condemns it. Which it does. And Which it does. <laughs> like I've said, you know, this is a masterpiece and maybe... Maybe this is Scorsese's ultimate masterpiece. This I is really think it is. His, yeah, I agree. There was a time someone asked me, what's your favorite movie? What's the best movie that you've seen out of all the movies you've seen? Oh, and I said, Goodfellas. Yeah. And they were like, really? Goodfellas? And I said, yes, Goodfellas. That's not really that <laughs> far really, off for me either, yeah. It's really that good. The, the craft of it, the engagement of it. Uh, all of the elements that just come together in this perfect moment. The scope of the story and mm-hmm. the way it works with all the different characters. And it's still mm-hmm. very fluid, very assured in the way that he chose to do this, the storytelling, you know? Like, yeah. he chose a, a really interesting approach that works really well with because of him and because of uh, Thelma Schoonmaker. We love you. Yes. And yeah, even though Casino is one of my forever favorites and I I enjoy watching that one kind of more in a way, this is the one that I admire the most from Scorsese, I think. Yeah. And I've already said my piece about Taxi Driver. I mean, uh, Taxi Driver is a personal favorite and I think it's a more personal film Mm -hmm. in a way. But I think that this is the one I I like more. Yeah. If I'm being honest, <laughs> you know this is. But <laughs> pairing pairing it with Casino would have been uh, would have been challenging. I even knew, though I knew even though you ended up talking about Goodfellas a lot when we were talking, I about did Casino. in that episode. <laughs> Frankly, it's because I've seen this one more yeah. often, and I think Casino sort of draws comparisons to Goodfellas to itself a little Possibly. bit. Yeah. But hey. 
I've said my piece about Casino, and <laughs> you know how much I like that movie, too. There's an intangible to this movie, mm-hmm. too. There is an intangible to a lot of really, really great movies. It's hard to put your finger on what exactly it is that makes them great. Yeah, There's something exactly. in the very DNA of them that... Or it's just it's, everything put yeah. together in just such a perfect way that when you watch it, you're just like, yeah, that's a great movie. That's one of the best movies ever made. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the feeling Clearly. I get from watching Goodfellas. It's uh, been around in my life. It feels like forever, and I was—I was. It just feels like it's—it's it's part of me in a way. Yeah, I, I understand that. Because for me, weirdly enough, I mean, it, I remember before it existed. You know, I remember before it existed, <laughs> and I remember after it existed. There are other movies where it's like it's always been there. Superman has always been there. Yeah. Star Wars has always been there, and I can't imagine a world without them. But this one, I remember a world without it, and it's interesting to hear from someone who doesn't <laughs> you know uh so i just i don't have any memory of like when i first saw movies <laughs> i wish i did <laughs> i don't remember that kind of stuff most i don't most i don't this was one that i remember this was sort of like this is a grown-up movie mm-hmm. this is a movie that uh, i'm not even sure I mean, R-rated movies weren't really a big deal by the time I was 13 for my family. So, yeah. so I, we were watching that sort of thing. But I'm kind of surprised that they were kind of like, yeah, sure. Why not? Let's let's rent Goodfellas. <laughs> yeah, my parents um, were with that, too. I'm, sh- it's like I'm, yeah. I'm sure that's how I saw it, was that my parents wanted to watch it. My dad, specifically. I, was, I remember watching The Godfather because of him. And, mm-hmm. yeah, they didn't care about like the rating system. They let me watch pretty much whatever, I think, because they understood that I could handle it. But that's probably how I saw it was because yeah. of my parents so if it was thank you with me it was new my parents hadn't seen it you know usually they will see something like this first you know mm-hmm. um, oh. <laughs> before showing time, it to you, you know, yeah, so we just watched it all at the same time. And at 13, I didn't really get it, I don't think, because I hadn't seen a lot of movies like this. But now I understand why it's so great. I mean, I've understood for that for a long time. You know, first viewing, 13 years old, I mean, there were things that just went completely over my head. Yeah. Now, clearly one of my favorites and probably should be on my forever favorites list. It almost feels driver, too but, obvious, um, though, in a way, right? But it, it does a little <laughs> bit. It does a little bit. Um, but I'm glad we talked about it on its own, in yeah. its own separate episode. I think that's the way to go with it. So, I hope we had something new to add to the conversation about Goodfellas that hasn't been said, you know, over the last 30 years already. But I, I agree. I, and. <laughs> Hopefully find an enjoyable conversation in here. I think so. Okay. Okay, so we have a couple of recommendations for you. Uh, Michelle, what do you have in mind? Uh, Well, I have been continuing my Godzilla education. I realize I'm probably doing this the wrong way. I've started with the OG Godzilla, and now I'm going into the newer ones rather than any of the older ones, but... Whatever. I think you're okay. I don't really care. I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're okay. Uh, the Showa era. I love the Showa era, but they're uh, they get a little goofy, to <laughs> say the I, least. That's what I'm yeah. not sure I'm gonna like. So maybe that's why yeah, I'm holding yeah. off on those a little bit. So the last one mm. I watched, I watched a. Uh, 2014's Godzilla from Gareth Edwards and loved it a lot. Really, really did. I remember liking that one a whole lot. 
thinking it was really good. I know it kind of gets a lot of shit. Yeah, I don't hear it talked about as positively, really. And I'm just, I watched it and I was like, are you kidding? That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's it's a lot of fun. It's got a lot of that, the whole nuclear fear yeah. stuff going on still. It's a great um, way to introduce the character. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of loved, too, the whole thing with the nuclear re- reactor melting down and like the, the place was in quarantine for a while because they were hiding this monster. Uh-huh. Like, you think the monster is Godzilla? Right. And it's not. It, I kind of liked yeah. that. I was... I was a little disappointed. I was like, where's Godzilla? Because it's like an hour in before you finally see him or something. Well, I think also that was related to to another real disaster you know that Japan experienced with the, the nuclear reactor that got damaged in the earthquake I can't remember what year that was but so mm-hmm. it's sort of interesting that you know just like with the original Godzilla that calls back to those real events mm-hmm. this one calls back to that real event too a really truly frightening thing that occurred and I think that gets lost in the conversation of it for some reason yeah you like you had mentioned before like some of the Godzilla movies are a little bit too much of the people and less of the monsters but i really didn't mind it here because i thought it was a i thought it was a great story even though the monster stuff is is pretty awesome like i got so excited when he did the the nuclear breath (laughs) well one of the things that i like about it is they actually gave a reason why he doesn't use it all the time yeah you know because it sort of like saps his energy Mm -hmm. and he can't keep it going i thought that was really smart to do because that's always the thing with the other godzilla movies is like why doesn't he just use his atomic breath? Yeah. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Just lots of great little moments, uh, like when the guys are on, they're on some kind of like train track or something, and the Muto is uh-huh. like just underneath them and all around them. And oh, I like, I loved the shot when they go to the uh, the place where they store the nuclear waste in the mountain, yes. and they're looking for. There's like a second Muto that has broken out, and they open the door, and it's just like it's this huge hole in the mountain. Lots of cool stuff in that movie, and I I really loved it a lot. So. I'm excited. I'm going to watch King of the Monsters, the new one, next. Hey, I think Ghidra's in that, which is cool. All right. (laughs) I'm going to recommend something I've mentioned a couple of times in passing before, and that is my favorite classic gangster movie. Uh, It's probably my third favorite overall, Goodfellas, The Godfather, and then this one. And that is from 1931, The Public Enemy, directed by William Weldman, starring James Cagney. And the reason why I'm picking it is because I see a lot of Goodfellas in that movie, or a lot of that movie in Goodfellas is probably more accurate. Mm -hmm. Because the three sort of main Goodfellas, right, Henry, Tommy, and Jimmy, are a lot like these characters in The Public Enemy, except in the case of The Public Enemy, the character that James Cagney plays, Tom, is more like Tommy. He's the hothead. He's the killer. He's the kind of likes doing this stuff. And then the Henry character is like Matt. And then the character of Nails Nathan just immediately leapt off the screen as me. Oh my gosh, it's Jimmy the Gent. (laughs) You know, he's... It's like, hey, you know, he's handing out money to people and shaking hands with a $20 bill in it, you know, that sort of thing. I just think that there are good companion pieces. This is a movie that heavily influenced Scorsese. 
he screens movies for cast and crew, things like that, before going into the making of a film. And The Public Enemy is one that I know he's used more than once. I know for sure when they made The Aviator, because this was the movie that would have been sort of the competition to Scarface and the one that came out that uh, Howard Hughes would be sort of in competition with. (laughs) I was on a podcast talking about this uh, a little while ago, Cobwebs, uh, with Daniel Epler, which is a great show, by the way. It's a really good show. Not necessarily that episode, just his show (laughs) in general is a great show. One of the things we talked about, there are things about it that have not aged. Uh, Acting choices and things like that are unusual but Cagney is so magnetic as the lead in this it's just a monumental movie in a lot of ways so I highly recommend if you've never seen old 30s gangster movies sort of where these kinds of films came from the public enemy for me is the one to see because it's just got some stuff in it that is unbelievably amazing awesome stuff And that is exactly something that I haven't done until recently. Like, I'm very much into the modern gangster movies, but I had never seen any of the the OG ones. I finally Mm -hmm. just saw Scarface, and I heard you talking so highly of Public Enemy. I wanted to kind of keep that one for last, but I think that one's the one that's coming next to me from Netflix. So I will be seeing it very soon, and I'm, I'm excited. It's always cool to see, like, the origins, you know? Yeah, I hope you like it. I there's obviously sort of elements of it that feel very 1930s. Right. Uh, <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> but there's a lot of it that feels very modern. Particularly there's this scene in the rain towards the end of the movie that is just remarkable. Was it you and Lindsay? I remember you guys talking about the ending that really intrigued yes. me about the movie. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, the the ending is a showstopper. Well, liter- well, it's the end of the movie, so obviously it's a showstopper, okay. but it's quite the ending. It's I'm looking forward to uh, hearing what you think about it. I hope you like it. I'm, it's one of those I'm nervous about you liking. <laughs> it's like, what if she doesn't like uh, it? I'll still be your friend. Don't worry. Oh, okay. 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 We've gotten past that stage. <laughs> I think so. Where? Where? <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> okay. So uh, talking about next time, we It's my are, turn. It's your turn. Yeah. It's your turn. We're looking into what Michelle majored in in her college career. So we're continuing our major movies with Michelle. What did you major in, Michelle? So there's some context to these picks. Uh, My original major was, at my college, it was just communications. uh, But I had a concentration in print journalism. Uh, That was what I started out with. And then actually, while I was attending college is when our new filmmaking professor actually added a concentration of digital filmmaking. So I did double concentrations in both of them, but it was brand new. So I don't know if it really counts or not. But yeah, I learned about um, radio and print and, and video and did a little bit of a film study while I was there. And I, I, it was so weird because I initially went to college to be a writer. I had my sights set on like magazines and stuff like that, like long form writing, interviewing like that. And it kind of switched when I got into the, the filmmaking stuff. So the jobs that I was looking for once I got out of college were at uh, news stations. And I worked at a few different news stations. Before. I'm not doing my major job anymore. I work at a grocery store, but whatever. It doesn't matter. That's that was my passion for. I didn't do my job as a major for a long time. Yeah. It was only in the last five years that I've actually started doing my job that I majored in. So. I don't regret any of it. It's not my passion anymore, like that specifically. Mm-hmm. But I definitely learned a lot from pursuing that, and I'm happy with where I am now. 
I, I, so I did do that for a while. I was a videographer. I was a director for a few news stations. And so because of that, our movie choices, I'm pretty stoked about them. So you go first. Yeah. So my choice is probably most directly related to the news videography yeah. thing. And that is fairly recent movie actually maybe one of the most recent we've ever done at least since one cut of the dead and that is uh, nightcrawler yeah starring jake gyllenhaal in one of the most interesting performances i've ever seen him in Mm -hmm. so and i've only seen this once but man did this blow me away the first time i saw it i've seen it a few times it's It's like a horror movie it's so it's frightening in a lot of ways but it's 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 really got some interesting stuff going i'm I'm looking forward to this one again. I think the second time it may even be stronger. I think it will be. Than it was the first time, yeah. Okay, so Michelle, what's your choice? I'm going to go with, from 1987, we're going to pick Broadcast News. I don't know. There's something about Broadcast News that I really want to talk. There's a lot going on with that that I would love mm-hmm. to get into about the, the industry. I've been listening to a lot of episodes of Screen Drafts lately. <laughs> and the Clay Keller, one of the you know the moderators of that show loves this movie like it's mm-hmm. it sounds like it's his favorite movie of all time and so when they did their movies about tv this one was kind of constantly in discussion throughout that episode oh, don't give it away. as to where it was going to end up and i'm not going to tell you don't give where, it away. but i was su- i was surprised at where it did yeah. and i thought Wow, I really need to rewatch this movie because I saw it once. I don't remember much about it, but I remember thinking it was good and liking it. And so I'm really looking forward to revisiting it. So both it. of these are going to be like almost like first time watches in a way for you. In a way, in a way, <laughs> uh, Nightcrawler is pretty fresh. Not only did I watch it fairly recently, but it kind of left a mark in a good way. Mm-hmm. So uh, whereas uh, Broadcast News, it's been several years. It's like not one of my favorite movies. I've only seen it a few times myself, actually. Once uh-huh. I um, I bought the Criterion, I got really, really into it. And that there's, yeah, I can't really say anything now, but there's, yeah, there's lots of little no, parts about the story and about the industry that are, are really interesting to get into. And got Holly Hunter. <laughs> Holly Hunter's character, I think, is probably going to be a major topic of that conversation. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because she's there's some really special stuff that she's doing. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah. So where can we find us as we close up here? You can find us on the internet on Twitter. You can find me at Michelle in Agen. And I'm at Brian D. Kuiper. And the show is at Movie Life Pod. Come over and say hi to us. Listen to the show. Give us five stars. <laughs> You feel free to drop us a line if you're listening and enjoying. Uh, reply to one of our posts or tag us or whatever. Um, we love to interact as much as we can. And it's really nice to hear if people are enjoying the show. Yeah. And yeah, I know it's inspired recently a few people to watch yeah. a movie that they haven't seen before, which is kind of cool. Um, we had a couple of people say they hadn't seen Magnolia, and yeah. their reactions have been fun to hear and learn about. And So that's always cool. Yeah. You can introduce someone to a great movie like you did yeah. to me with Magnolia, pretty much. Reintroduce <laughs> it to me. All right, so we're going to close out this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening, and we will see you next, next time. time. That's right. <laughs> Bye. Bye.